You're listening to the preaching ministry of First Baptist Church in Newton, North Carolina. By God's grace and for His glory, we're striving to be a community of disciples who are growing in trust, growing in love, and growing disciples. We pray you'll be encouraged to deeply love and trust our Savior Jesus Christ through this ministry. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Please open your Bible with me to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17, I'm going to start reading in verse 1, and I'm going to read down to verse 14, and then there's a passage that we will skip for now and then pick it up two weeks from now. And then we'll skip down to verse 23 to verse 27. Now when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you. And you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make nations of you and kings will come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. For an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. God said further to Abraham, Now as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep. Between me and you and your descendants after you, every male among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. And every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout their generations, a servant who is born in the house or who is bought with money from any foreigner who is not of your descendants." A servant who is born in your house or who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. This shall be my, thus shall my covenant be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. But an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Verse 23. Then Abram took Ishmael his son, and all the servants who were born in his house, and all who were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abram's household, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in the very same day as God had said to him. Now Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael his son was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. In the very same day, Abraham was circumcised and Ishmael his son. All the men of his household who were born in the house or bought with his money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. 
One of my favorite preachers, Russell Moore, tells a story of a certain family worship time where the topic of circumcision came up with his four young boys. And as they were there in family worship, one of his little boys said, Daddy, what is circumcision? And Russell Moore said, well, it's a sign of a covenant that God made with his people. Well, yeah, but, but what kind of sign? Well, it's a special sign that God made to mark the bodies of male children as belonging to him. Yeah, but exactly how? What, what exactly is it? And Russell Moore said, so I just told him. And there was silence. And then one of his little boys said, I think I'm going to have nightmares. <clears throat> Let me just say, if you're a guest with us this morning, you're probably thinking right now, what in the world have I just walked into? I, 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 feel, I feel that. Here's the thing. This is, this is one of those passages that really tries your commitment to preach verse by verse through the Bible. Because if you were just every, every week saying, Lord, what do you want me to preach? My guess is you would never be, quote unquote, led to this passage. I would, ne I would never pick this one. But God is the one who has said what is important for his people to hear. So what I want to do is I want to be a reporter. I want to be, I want to be a deliverer of what God has said. All of his scripture is profitable for teaching. And so my goal is not to edit what he said. My goal is not to pick and choose what I think would be best for you to hear. My goal is simply, thus says the Lord, and then as best I can, explain it clearly and tell you why it matters. So today, we come to this next section in the book of Genesis. And the next thing that God has decided to reveal to us is how he confirmed his relationship with Abraham and sealed it by Abraham cutting off his foreskin. Does that sound helpful for us to think about this morning? God says it is. So let's ask him for help. Father in heaven, as we come to this text, Lord, I, I personally want to praise you for meeting with me as I studied. Father, I want to pray that you would make your word crystal clear. And that your people would see your heart. And they would trust in you. Father, I pray that you would clear up confusion. That you would keep me from saying anything that is unhelpful. Father, I pray for... for for little ears who may not understand everything that we're saying. Lord, I pray that your son would be clear. And they would love him. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing I want us to see in this text is grace-empowered obedience. Look at verse 1. Now when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you and I will multiply you exceedingly. Well, what we see in these opening verses is something that we've been very used to seeing in the book of Genesis. When people come into relationship with God, 
God is the one who initiates that relationship. You tell me, what was Abram doing before God called him? Joshua 24 says that he was with his daddy and with his granddaddy. And what were they doing? Worshiping idols. Far away from God. Far away from God's land. Remember back in Genesis 13 when God decided to go to Egypt. And he basically gave his wife into the arms of Pharaoh to be his wife. Here's my question. Who got him out of that mess? God did. Here's what I want us to see. Abraham would have no problem climbing up on the roof of First Baptist Church and belting out victory in Jesus. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. From cover to cover, the Bible celebrates sovereign, initiative taking, resistance overcoming, heart changing grace from our God. Right here in Romans chapter 3, verse 11. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. You tell me who naturally seeks for God. How many? Zero. Jesus could not have been more clear. John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. If someone is seeking after God, genuinely seeking after God, we can know this, God is behind their seeking. He's seeking them. If you're seeking after God, If you are genuinely seeking after God and your heart is saying, I want to know God. I want to obey God. I want to surrender my whole life to God. Here's what you can know. That's not coming from you. God is at work bringing you to Himself. We know this. We love because... He first loved us. Now think about that. It gets gets more beautiful the more you think about it. If we are loving Him, it's because He loved us first. We love because He first loved us. But if He loved us first, notice what the result is. We're loving Him back. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. If you are here and your heart is one that desires to obey, your heart is one that desires to submit your will to Him, I hope that your heart is so encouraged that the Bible says that God is the one who's working in you to have that will. God is the one working in you so that you're able to work according to His good pleasure. And what's so incredible about that is Philippians chapter 1 says that if God began a good work, guess what He's going to do? He's going to complete that work. This is this is. Crazy encouraging. And maybe it's obvious to you already, but for me, I'm learning to believe this gospel and learning to obey out of this 
power from the Lord. So, so it, it goes like this in my mind. Look, Lord, right now, what you're calling me to is hard. And I am struggling. But Lord, I want to obey. Wait a minute. If I want to obey, that means that God is at work in me. And wait a minute, God, if you're at work in me, you're going to complete that work. There's the power to obey. I want you to notice the unity, the partnership, the marriage between God's sovereign, gracious promises and Abraham's obedience. Look at verse 1. It says that God appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Verse 2, I will establish my covenant between me and you. It's hard to see in this translation. But there is a solid connection between the end of verse 1 and verse 2. The ESV says it like this very well. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you. The King James Version says it pretty well. Walk before me and be thou perfect and I will make my covenant between me and you. The New English Translation says walk before me and be blameless. Then I will confirm my covenant between me and you. God sovereignly takes the lead in bringing people to himself. Then we are responsible to respond and then God fulfills his promises. In other words, here's what I want you to see. The Bible does not teach that there is a balance between God's sovereignty and our responsibility. It doesn't teach there is a balance between those two. What the Bible teaches is that there is a happy marriage between God's sovereign promises and our grace-empowered obedience that leads to the fulfillment of His promises. In John 15, Jesus commands, Abide in me. And what's the promise if we abide? That He'll abide in us. And the result will be that we will bear much fruit. What happens if we don't abide? If we don't remain attached to Jesus? John fifteen six. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. Look at Colossians 1. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet He has now reconciled you in His fleshly body through death in order to present you before Him holy and blameless and beyond reproach if indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you've heard. This, is, this, this marriage... Between God's sovereign grace and our obedient working that leads to the fulfillment of His promises is seen beautifully in verse 3. Look at this. God speaks. Verse 3 says that Abram fell on his face. And notice what the result was. And God kept talking. Here's the way Paul says it in the book of Romans. Romans 6 verse 22, But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. Let me show you this one more place. Look over to Genesis chapter 18 and verse 19. God is speaking of Abraham. And He says, For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. Now look at this. 
so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. God makes gracious, sovereign promises. Abram responds with faith-filled obedience. So here's my question. Who's making the everyday decisions on the ground to live righteously and justly? Abraham and his children. Who is at work so that Abraham wills and works according to God's good pleasure? God is. And what happens? God keeps his promises. That's grace empowered obedience. Next, let's be reminded what these promises are that he makes. Look at verse 4. As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. We saw this two weeks ago, so I'm not going to spend much time, but I would just want us to be reminded of the promises that God made to Abraham, that these are incredible promises. I want you to notice how he introduces his promises in verse 4. As for me, God says, behold, my covenant is with you. As for me, and he promises Abram real estate and relatives and a relationship. And we didn't get to talk about this two weeks ago, but I can't help it. That in this, I want you to notice that what's happening here is so big that it's almost as if he is reiterating the promises that he made at creation. You remember, with creation, he he brings Adam and Eve into this incredible garden. In this relationship, he says to them, be fruitful and multiply. He brings them in that land. He walks with them and he he commands them to have babies. I want you to notice what's happening. God has planned great things for his people. But Adam and Eve messed it up. He comes back at the Noahic covenant. And he says again to Noah, in this new earth that he is now cleansed. And he says, be fruitful and multiply. Noah and his children mess it up. And so look at what God is doing in Genesis 17. He told Adam and Eve and Noah and his family, be fruitful and multiply. But look at what God says in verse 2. I will multiply you exceedingly. He says in verse 6, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. You see what's happening? God is dead set on creating a people for himself to enjoy life under his blessing. That's not just sovereign grace. That's stubborn grace. That's grace that says, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to make a people and they're going to live under my blessing. Aren't you thankful for mercy that is stubborn? Aren't you thankful for a God who has decided to bless His people and He refuses to give up? Praise the Lord for sovereign mercy, stubborn grace. So in verse 4, God says, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you. But then in verse 9, God begins to explain Abraham's end of the deal. Do you see that in verse 9? 
God said further to Abraham, now as for you. Verse 4, God says, as for me, here's what I'm doing. But in verse 9, Abram, but now as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep. Between me and you and your descendants after you, every male among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be the sign of covenant between me and you. And every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout their generations. A servant who is born in the house, who is brought with money with any foreigner who is not of your descendants, a servant who is born in your house or who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. Thus shall my covenant be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. We seal marriage vows with a ring of gold worn comfortably on the left hand. My guess is Abraham's thinking about now he would prefer a ring. But for some reason, God chose circumcision. I think that's weird. You probably think that's weird. Let's just unpack quickly what this sign was meant to signify. We're just going to see what he says in the text. First, I want you to notice that it seems very clear to me that circumcision is certainly tied to the promise of children. God makes Abraham clear promises that he's going to be the father of a multitude of nations. And to seal that promise, God marks the reproductive organ. I think God is saying, that's mine. I'm the one who's making you fruitful. Secondly, we also see that this sign is initiated on the other side of Abram's adultery in Genesis 16. Abraham disobeys God in Genesis 16 with this particular part of his body. And now God is laying claim to that <clears throat> particular part of Abram's body and marking it as if to say, that's mine. Now walk before me and be blameless. I just want to remind you that this is this exact same thing needed today. Look at Romans 6. Paul says, Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Now, I'm sure that Paul had lots of body parts on his mind. We need to submit our eyes to God. We need to submit our ears to God. We need to submit our hands to God. We need to submit our tongues to God. But what if every man in this room dedicated this part of his body to the Lord? Here's one thing we know. There'd be a whole lot less drama. There'd be a whole lot less heartache. We wouldn't be going down to the abortion clinic pleading for young mothers and their unborn babies that they wouldn't be killed. Tons of sin would be completely avoided. And this is where we need the theology that we talked about before. If you are desiring sexual purity, here's what you can know. That's not natural. That's not coming from you. If you, are if you are desiring sexual purity, God is at work in you. And He is able to empower your obedience. 
Third, circumcision is an outward, visible sign that is meant to stir the memory. We could think about this in terms of the sign that was placed on Cain. But verse, I mean, uh, Genesis 9 is very helpful here because the exact same language is used. Look back at Genesis 9, verse 12. You remember that God is making a, a covenant with Noah. And he gives a sign of that covenant. A rainbow in the sky. Look what he says in Genesis 9 verse 12. God said this is the sign of the covenant. Exact same language. Which I am making between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all successive generations. I will set my bow in the cloud and it shall be for a sign of a covenant between me and the earth. Now look what the sign is good for. Verse 14. It shall come about when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow will be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And never again shall the water become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the cloud, then I will look upon it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Very helpful. The purpose of a sign is to serve as a visible reminder of a formal agreement. I'll admit, it sounds weird. But when God wanted a visible reminder to a man that he owned the whole person, he couldn't have chose a better part. Because here's reality on the ground. There are tons of men who are saying to Jesus, I want to submit every part of my body except this one. And Jesus says, no. It doesn't work that way. This part of the body has power to do incredible evil or incredible good. Which brings us to the next point, And that is Abraham's immediate obedience. Look at verse 22. When he finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son and all the servants who were born in his house and all who were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abram's household and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in the very same day as God had said to him. Now Abram, Abraham was 99 years old when he, had circum, was, he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. In the very same day, Abraham was circumcised and Ishmael, his son, all the men of his household who were born in the house or bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. I want you to notice that Abraham did not take time to think about it. Abraham did not take time to pray about it. Abraham didn't take time to call his friends together to see what they thought about it. And ask them to pray about it. No, Abraham heard from the Lord. He received an extremely costly, painful command. Which I'm sure didn't win him the Father of the Year award. I'm sure it didn't win him the Master of the Year award. He received that costly command and then immediately he obeyed. The text makes this plain twice. You see it in verse 23. At the end, 
the very same day. We see it in verse 26. In the very same day, Abram was circumcised and Ishmael, his son. That's a picture. That's a picture of a costly command and immediate obedience. This is a good time for us to ask. Is that the goal of your heart? Is the goal of your heart to hear from the Lord, regardless of what He says, every day to meet with Him, every day to open His Word, every day, Lord, would You speak to me? And as He speaks, even with costly things, does Jesus call His people to costly things? He says, he says, you've got to leave mother and father and houses and land and wives and children. You've got to forsake even your own life or you can't follow me. He's going to make, if you want to follow Jesus, He's going to call you to incredibly costly things. Here's my question. Is your heart to obey immediately? Anybody here on the fence... This text is screaming to you. Don't sit on the fence. Obey. Today. What are you putting off? Obey. Today. Let me, let me remind you finally. That there is hope for us to obey. Because there is supernatural power available. As, as much dedication as it took to enter this covenant, as vivid as a physical reminder that circumcision is, there is no knife able to cut deep enough to cut out all the rotten that is embedded in the human heart. And I believe that's the point of this text. The sign of circumcision was to make us long for a Savior. The sign of circumcision was, make, was, was meant to make us long for the Savior. From the very beginning, the cutting of the body was meant to expose the need of a radical transformation of the heart. Listen, Deuteronomy 10, So circumcise your heart and stiffen your neck no longer. Deuteronomy 30, the Lord your God will bring you into a land which your fathers possessed and you shall possess it and He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul so that you may live. Jeremiah 4. Circumcise yourself to the Lord and remove the foreskins of your heart. Or else my wrath will go forth like fire <clears throat> and burn with no one to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. Turn your Bible over to Colossians chapter 2. New Testament, Galatians. You see, you see Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter 2, and look at verse 9. 
For in Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. This is Jesus, God Himself, dwelling. Not used to dwell, right now, dwelling in bodily form in Jesus Christ. And in Him you have been made complete. And He is the head over all rule and authority. And in Him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Here's my question. What does he mean by, in him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands? What does he mean by that? The giving of the Holy Spirit? Good. What else? The circumcision of the heart that removes the rotten out of the human heart. What do we call that? Regeneration. Rebirth. New heart. New creation. God Himself in His Spirit dwelling in us. Notice how Ezekiel 36 brings all this together. I will give to you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. Now look back at Colossians chapter 2 and verse 11 and see how he did it. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. I don't think there is any way that you could describe any better way how gross and how bloody and how beautiful the cross of Jesus Christ was. Jesus. Precious Jesus. Sinless Jesus. Gentle Jesus. Kind-hearted Jesus. Pure-hearted Jesus, to use the words of Isaiah 53.8, was cut off from the land of the living. He was treated like foreskin. Treated like filthy foreskin. St. Corinthians chapter 5 says that God made Jesus to become sin. Galatians chapter 3 says that as He hung on that cross as a man, He was hanging under the curse of God. Why? Isaiah 53.8 The rest of the verse answers the question, For the transgression of My people to whom the stroke was due. He became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. But what's He calling us to do? To trust the Savior. To trust the Savior, the Savior who bled in our place. The Savior. A sinless Savior who's so identified with humanity that Colossians chapter 2 says that on the cross is a 
picture of circumcision. As the Christ was cut off. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with Him through faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our transgressions." having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, He has taken out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. The Savior becoming cursed. The Savior becoming sin. That all of our sin might be washed away so that we would serve Him in newness of life. And then empowered by that heart. He wants us to cling to the Savior. And live out of that new heart. Look what he says. I'm I'm just going to read this. Look at Colossians 3. Therefore. If this is true of you. And Jesus has bled for you. Jesus has been cut off for you. And is has given you a new heart, has put His Spirit within you, is now causing you to work and to will according to His good pleasure. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, then keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you all once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. And do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed in a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all in all. So then as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, whoever has complained against anyone, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond. Of unity. Jesus came to be cursed. That we might come alive. The call of the Christian is to live out of that new life. So the question is. is, Has that new life. 
been born in you? Have you been born again? Has your flesh been crucified, been circumcised, the removal of the body of sin, and now a new heart? Has your heart been made new? Trust in Jesus. And then live the rest of your life out of this new heart for His glory. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I am thankful for the promise that we, we who are Gentiles in the flesh, who are trusting in Christ, are the true circumcision. Who put no confidence in the flesh. Who worship in the Spirit of God. Who boast only in Christ. Lord, I pray today and every day that we would not only be thankful for a Savior who was brought to the lowest point that we can imagine for the sake of our salvation. Lord, I pray that we would live the rest of our days worshiping Him. Empowered by Him. And transformed to be like Him. Father, I pray for every single person who is trying to do that in their own power. That you would bring them to the end of the line. Give them grace to trust in the Savior. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the First Baptist Newton Podcast. If you want to learn more, check out our website at newtonfbc.org. We'll see you next time.